At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is the Pittsburgh CityCast with Tim Benz, presented by Bet Rivers. Ex-Cincinnati Bengals defensive back Adam Pacman jones says he doesn't want Steelers fans glomming onto the Super Bowl success of his former franchise. Here's a quote from Pacman this week on 93.7 The Fan. We don't want none of the Pittsburgh Steelers fans jumping on the bandwagon, Jones says. I'm pretty sure he doesn't have anything to worry about. I'm Tim Benz. This is the Pittsburgh CityCast brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the app today or go to BetRivers.com. Were Steelers fans rooting for the Cincinnati Bengals against Kansas City last week in the AFC Championship game? Yeah, maybe some. But hey, the Chiefs had just beaten the Steelers badly in the playoffs. Since he seemed like a cuddly, harmless underdog, for this year anyway. Patrick Mahomes' fiance and brother are super annoying on social media. Plus, we don't need a new Patriots-esque dynasty in the AFC already, do we? So, okay, the Bengals won that one. It's fine, but... The Super Bowl? No, I can't root for the Bengals to win the Super Bowl. Can you? I can't because when I think of the Bengals, I still think of guys like Vontez Burfecht and, well, Pac-Man. I mean, back whoever you want for the Super Bowl, Pittsburgh, but I don't understand why anyone in this city would root for the despised Cincinnati Bengals to win a Super Bowl title over an innocuous, non-threatening NFC West team like the Los Angeles Rams. Are the Bengals going to be as fun to kick around if they no longer are a team that you can point at and say, hey, when's the last time you guys ever won a Super Bowl? Oh, never? Gee, that's a shame. If you're rooting for the Bengals, why? I don't get it. They are a hated AFC North divisional rival. I thought the best thing about the AFC North was the hate. The Steelers hate the Bengals, who hate the Ravens, who hate the Browns, who hate the Steelers. And all is right with the world. I love hate. Here's another quote from Pac-Man. If your division is going to win the championship every time, that says something strong about your division. That's what he said to hosts Andrew Filipponi and Doran Dickerson. But come on, Pac, don't give me that. Were you really rooting for Pittsburgh to upset the Denver Broncos the week after you and Burfick melted down against the Steelers in the 2015 playoffs? Were you rooting for them to beat the Miami Dolphins or Kansas City Chiefs in 2016 or Jacksonville in 2017, all because of divisional pride? Please, you don't expect me to buy that, do you? It's the AFC North, not the SEC West. It's an NFL division, not an NCAA conference. If you play in a tough NCAA conference, there's at least tangible benefit. It leads to more credibility, better rankings, better bowl berths, better bowl payouts, more eyeballs on television sets for recruiting. The Steelers don't get more cap room just because the Bengals are going to the Super Bowl. They don't attain a more favorable draft position just because they play in a division that yields a Super Bowl champ. I'm pretty sure the NFL doesn't work that way. You can brag about being in the AFC North all you want. All that does is get you swept by Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers in the regular season. 
So go ahead and root against the teams that you hate. I say that's fine. Plus, Pac-Man is still taking shots at the Steelers anyway. He says he doesn't see them as a threat to the Bengals and their oncoming reign of terror over the division. He went so far to say in that same interview, the only people on our radar right now, truthfully, is the Ravens because they're on and off. The defense needs to be a little bit better and keep the quarterback healthy through the playoffs. That's the only thing about it. Lamar Jackson hasn't been healthy enough through the playoffs. Well, whatever. That team is one Joe Burrow injury away from being an also-ran in the division again. And with that offensive line playing in front of Burrow, they're going to get him splattered again sometime soon. Speaking of Burrow, though, and this goes back to the likability quotient for the Bengals, what's with the whole heel turn act anyway? Was he uncomfortable being too much of a good guy, too much of a likable baby face last year? So now he's got to drum up the whole Joe Cool thing with the flashy glasses, the dumb outfits, and cocky answers at press conferences. Like, I've always been a big Joe Burrow fan. I still am. But you can't be Joe Cool when you're trying that hard to be cool. Oh, and then there's the battle of the pick guys, too, in this Super Bowl. On one hand, you have hard-working, gritty-gutty superstar dominant Aaron Donald with the Los Angeles Rams. On the other, you've got mouthy third receiver Tyler Boyd for the Bengals, who accused the Steelers of quitting in the first loss between the teams this year. And that's just ridiculous. Stop it, Tyler. The Steelers didn't quit against you in the first game this year. They quit against you in the second game this year. Like 24-10, that's not quitting. 41-10, that's quitting. So let's not exaggerate, huh? Look, root for whoever you want to see win next Sunday, Pittsburgh. It's your business, but and I can't believe I'm about to say this. I'm listening to Pac-Man. I'm staying off the Bengals bandwagon. Go Rams. Now, that might be where my heart is. My mind, though, is with the Bengals. I do think they're going to win the Super Bowl. Give me the four and a half points, but the line keeps rising, so maybe I'll wait. Maybe I'll go even plus 165 in the money line. And here's part of where my logic is. I'll dive more into it with Mike Pursuta and Matt Williamson later in the week, but there's a mismatch on film for sure, and it's the Rams' pass rush against the Bengals' pass protection. Like, for instance, if the over-under on Rams' sacks in the Super Bowl is 5.5, I still might go over. Here's something else I know, though. Joe Burrow got sacked nine times on the road against Tennessee in the playoffs and still won. I also think the second biggest mismatch in the game is the Bengals' passing attack against the Rams' secondary. The Rams can attack and sack and blitz Joe Burrow, and so long as he stays healthy enough to play, he's going to complete enough big passes to win. Give me the Bengals, give me Burrow, and give me lots of props on Burrow and the Bengals' wide receivers, especially T. Higgins. T. Higgins at minus 113 to get to 70 yards. Boy, that looks good to me. Plus 285 to hit 100 looks luscious. Higgins paid off for me in the AFC Championship game. So did taking the points on the Niners. However, the big play on my tees with the Chiefs going down to a pick in the Niners at plus 10.5, that did not, thanks to the arrogance of the Kansas City Chiefs. So I'm going to have to have words with Pursuta later because he's the one that talked me into that one. Now the only hubris with the Chiefs is what's showing up on the TikTok accounts of Patrick Mahomes' girlfriend and his brother. As for the Steelers, during his annual season-ending media session, Art Rooney II made one thing clear. His franchise doesn't have thoughts of rebuilding, and the goal is to have a Super Bowl-winning mentality heading into 2022. 
Rudy's quote from that session, I would never sit here and say that we're going to change our goal of trying to win a Super Bowl every season that's got to be the goal as far as I'm concerned. So if I'm applying logic, that means one of three things about the team's approach to replacing Ben Roethlisberger at quarterback. The Steelers are seriously considering an aggressive move at the draft and a trade or through free agency to get a quarterback. Rooney is selling himself on goals for next year. Or Rooney is selling us on goals for next year. I hope it's the first thing, but I doubt it. I don't think it's the second thing, so I'm going to guess it's the third. Because I can't possibly believe that Rooney II actually believes that a Super Bowl is attainable with either Mason Rudolph or Dwayne Haskins at quarterback. I also can't believe that he doesn't understand his team is at least in the beginning stages of a rebuild. The Hall of Fame quarterback is retiring, as is the general manager, Kevin Colbert. That's to say nothing of replacing the defensive coordinator, the offensive line coach, and potentially numerous players, a defensive back, wide receiver, and along both lines of scrimmage, at least. I mean, in theory, if part of the logic behind why the team may not pursue the likes of Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, or Derek Carr is that the roster is so bleak it needs every draft pick possible to support any quarterback, then that sounds like a rebuild to me. To be fair, I'm not going to convict the Steelers of something they haven't done yet. In terms of either acquiring a veteran to compete for the starting job, or perhaps drafting one, Rooney insisted, certainly we won't close any doors at this point. It's still early in the process. There will be a lot of doors to open and look through. Now that echoes recent comments from Mike Tomlin, so let's hope they're paying more than lip service to those statements if the stated goal is trying to contend for a Super Bowl, and that's also legit. Because if Rooney, Tomlin, and Colbert felt that either Rudolph or Haskins are worthy of Super Bowl contention, why didn't they start last year? Because they weren't getting Super Bowl contention-worthy play from Roethlisberger at quarterback. Why was Roethlisberger brought back after the clear warning signs of his limitations by the end of 2020. As a result, in 2021, the Steelers were fourth in pass attempts, but 15th in yards. That's not efficient, especially when a lot of those yards were in comebacks when opposing teams were swapping yards for time, specifically the Vikings, Chargers, Chiefs twice, and Bengals twice. Roethlisberger was 29th in average yards per passing attempt, and he was 24th in rating. If Haskins or Rudolph are honestly capable of contending for a Super Bowl, then they should have been on the field instead of that guy because this Steelers team was at least barely capable of making the playoffs. Thanks again, Jacksonville, by the way. And I do feel obligated to mention that every time the Steelers' postseason berth is referenced coming off of this year because they never get there without that massive upset from the Jaguars. So was last season truly about Super Bowl contention too? Or was it more about constructing a palatable departure for Ben Roethlisberger, who obviously wasn't ready to retire after 2020? I suppose what Rooney says in these media settings is more perfunctory than functional, so I'm not going to get too hung up on his word choice. The rare times Rooney goes on the record with the media, it's often more about meeting an obligation to disseminate some off-season talking points to the fans is not so much an opportunity to make sweeping public declarations about the course of the franchise. Plus, attendance is down at Heinz Field. Local television ratings have dipped during a year where they jumped in many other NFL markets. Rooney is never going to say, yeah, we're rebuilding, especially not under circumstances like that. The closest he came to that acknowledgement 
was calling post-Big Ben life a new chapter. If the Steelers go into 2022 riding the status quo at quarterback, though, I won't blame any Steeler fan who is hesitant to buy anything that Rooney is selling. That includes tickets to Heinz Field. That includes picking up the remote control to watch his franchise on TV. Some of you apparently are becoming more discerning consumers in that regard, and I think you have every right to be. All right, when we come back, we'll switch gears. We'll talk hockey with Seth Rorba, beat writer for the Penguins, the Tribune Review. Seth is next with me, Tim Benz, the Pittsburgh CityCast, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the app today or go to BetRivers.com. Bet Rivers Sportsbook wants you to experience rush pay. When you want to cash out your winnings, you don't want to wait two days just to get the go-ahead to withdraw your money. That's why Bet Rivers created Rush Pay. With Rush Pay, 80% of withdrawal requests are approved instantly, meaning you'll get your money faster. Why wait? Get your cash when you want it. Bet with a winner. Bet with Bet Rivers Sportsbook at BetRivers.com. Presented by Rivers Casino Pittsburgh. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Back in the Pittsburgh CityCast, Tim Benz with you. Glad you're still with us. Uh, by the way, going back to football for just a second, the Steelers are at plus 3,300 to win the Super Bowl next year. So uh, get your dollars in now on a team when you don't know what the quarterback situation is going to be going into training camp, right? Yeah, plus 3,300 right there with the Seahawks and the Eagles just barely in front of the Vegas Raiders, behind just barely the Tennessee Titans at 2,800. Kind of a weird mixed company there based on last year's results going into this year. As for the Penguins, plus 325 to win the Metropolitan Division, only behind the Carolina Hurricanes, who are at minus 167. Boy, a lot of faith coming in suddenly on the Canes. Pretty big difference there between the Pens and Rangers. Not sure I'm that keen on the Canes yet they are my favorite they are my pick but a little bit larger gap than I would expect all things considered Eastern Conference Penguins at plus 800 the teams in front of them the Lightning Panthers Canes and Leafs so they're tied in fifth right now with the Bruins Rangers right behind them at plus 900 Lightning and Panthers the favorites at plus 375 apiece I like the Lightning better than I do the Panthers in that regard. And then the Hurricanes and Maple Leafs after them at plus 450. I'd put the Canes right behind the Lightning if it's me. Stanley Cup, Penguins at plus 1,600. Uh, it's interesting. You've got the uh, Lightning, Panthers, Canes, and Leafs in front of the Penguins there too. And then there's two Western Conference teams in front of all those clubs from the East, the Avs and the Golden Knights. Plus 475, the Colorado Avalanche, the Vegas Golden Knights at plus 700. So essentially what you're being told here is it just appears that there's an easier path through the West for the Avs or the Knights to get there than it is with all those jumbled teams in the Eastern Conference. On the topic of hockey, I spoke with Seth Rorba, the Pittsburgh Tribune Review. Seth is our hockey beat writer, and we started off talking about the Penguins going into the All-Star break on a losing streak after winning 17 of 19. They lost four in a row, all on home ice. Of course, they got points in three of those defeats because they got to overtime in each of those games. But still, Seth tells us why. And we also get into the All-Star festivities themselves. Sidney Crosby as a goal scorer as he sits on 498, getting ready to get his 500th. 
and much more surrounding the Pittsburgh Penguins here on the Pittsburgh CityCast, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Seth, uh, you will not be going to Vegas to watch the card shooting competition and the boats on the Bellagio water fountains and all that other stuff, will you? Uh, I won't be watching it uh, in person or even uh, remotely, so uh, <laughs> I'll be cl- very clear on that one. Do we know if Gensel's taking part in the card shooting blackjack competition or what he's uh, doing exactly? I don't know if that any of that's been announced yet. I don't know that they've uh, designated uh, any players to certain events yet. Uh, I know uh, Chris Tang kind of joked that he probably is definitely not going to be in the hardest shot competition. You know, you know, for as much as Jake Gensel's kind of celebrated as a goal scorer, and justly so. I mean, he's been a 40 goal guy. He's had, hit the 20 goal mark five straight years. He's two time All Star. Um, he, he doesn't necessarily have like you know that signature shot. You know, like like Sidney Crosby has that backhander that's just a dagger. And, Evgeny Malkin's that that one timer from a lot of times from the circle there. That's just uh, uh, you know a thunderclap. And you know guys like Alex Ovechkin, Steven Stamkos, uh, kind of have that signature shot. And Jake Gensel doesn't. He just kind of collects goals. It's like, oh, here I am, the wide open net with a rebound. You know, score a goal. Um, that, I think that's the thing that's always stuck out to me as being unique with him is that um, you know for all the accomplishment he has, it's 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 not like he has like this overwhelming physical trait in terms of his size or speed, or as I said earlier, just a, just a signature type of, sh- of shooting ability. Um, he just knows how to be around the net and kind of collect goals, whether it's off a, sc- a screen, a tip, a rebound, what have you. Um, and it's not necessarily, uh, you know, because of his shooting ability, which, which sounds like an odd thing to say, but um, he has a very unique ability to just kind of collect goals uh, w- without any of those attributes that I mentioned. Similar conversation, different person. Sidney Crosby sitting on 498 for goals. When you think Sidney Crosby goal scorer, what do you think of? Um, I, I think of that 2009-2010 season when he won the Maurice Richard Trophy. I think he shared it with Steven Stamkos actually that year. Um, up until that point of his career, you know, there, there was a, a weird criticism, if you want to call it that, that he wasn't a goal scorer and, you know, he was just a guy that collected assists and passed, you know, and, you know, and as if that was like a bad attribute, I guess, but, um, you know, he kind of worked on his shot that season and, 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 and finding other little ways to maybe kind of generate goals that way. And, um, you know, I don't know that he even topped 30 goals by that point in his career to that point, but all of a sudden he kind of erupted, I think for 51 that season. And, And that's just kind of the signature, um, characteristic of Sidney Crosby. You, you even look at his face-offs, you know, his first couple of years in the leagues in, in the 40s, and he works on it and, be, and becomes like a 50-some percent guy in the face-off circle. Kind of did the same thing uh, that season with his goals and ended up with the, with the goal-scoring uh, trophies. So, um, no, I don't know that we're ever going to confuse him with Alex Ovechkin in that regard, but um, he's a goal scorer. Uh, you know, and, you know, for all the, you know, criticism he faced early in his career for not being able to do that, he kind of um, went to work at it and, and really uh, honed that part of his game. I mean, there's so many things he does well, but um, I'm not quite sure he ever has gotten enough credit for what he can do in just in terms of putting the puck in the net by himself. Seth Rorba with us, our hockey beat writer at the Pittsburgh Tribune Review. Penn's going into the all-star break on a four-game losing streak, which, you know, you look at it, they got three points out of those four games, Seth, but still all of them at home and at least – the first two against teams that they should have beaten record-wise. How do you feel about their play in the last four games before the break? Well, I, I think the fourth game is by far the most different of the, of the three games. Um, it's all a loss. You know, it's a four-game losing streak, the first time they've had such a streak 
uh, this season. They had a couple three-game streaks, uh, losing streaks this season. But uh, it's a four-game losing streak, um, even if they get some points. But uh, they were almost kind of defined just how well they thought they played against Washington. It wasn't a perfect game. I mean, all their offense came from special teams. Um, and they, in fact, they even gave up a, a, a shorthanded goal uh, to Washington. But, um, you know, you look at the club, you know, I think they had 47 shots. That was one of their highest totals they've had all season. Um, they were getting, uh, you know, decent opportunities five on five from, I guess, at least the first three lines. Um, so there was some balance in that sense. Um, so I, if you want to look at the four games there, I, I think this was by far the best of the games. Um, they kind of, I think, ran into a bit of a hot goaltender there with Ilya Sepsonov who came into the game for Vitek Banasek, who looked like he suffered a head injury. Um, so you have to you know, you know, give credit to, to Samsonov for, for really standing on his head there. But um, no, it wasn't a perfect game, but it was at least their most spirited or, or enthusiastic effort, I would argue, of the four games. And not that they dogged it you know, against Seattle or Detroit or Los Angeles, but they just they just looked exhausted in those games, so just given how compacted their schedule has been as of late. And, you know, who knows, maybe it's because of the division game, it's the rivalry with the Washington Capitals, maybe that, you know, gave them a little bit more juice, I guess. But, um, like I said, I, I thought they took a step in the right direction uh, against Washington, even if the result wasn't all that appetizing. You know, Seth, I was talking about the uh, gambling odds a little bit uh, earlier on this morning. And if you look at the odds – at least on Bet Rivers anyway, uh, the Carolina Hurricanes are minus 167 to win the division. Then it's the Pens at 325, the Rangers at plus 450, and the Capitals at plus 1,000. Um, that's a pretty significant gap between the Hurricanes and the Penguins and Rangers, and it's a real big gap between the Penguins and the Caps. And I wouldn't have either gap that big. I'm a believer in the Hurricanes too, I am, but... I don't know that they should be favored that heavily to win the division the rest of the year unless people are thinking they're just going to step on the accelerator and go. And I wouldn't put the Penguins' odds that much greater than where the Capitals are. How about you? Yeah, I almost kind of look at the, the those four teams at Yellow, and there's like two different groups. I mean, the, the, the Hurricanes and the Rangers are kind of a um, younger, more spirited group, I guess you could say. I mean, there's I think they're they're – build around you know younger players with you know a little less wear and tear on their on their on their skates mm-hmm. uh whereas the penguins and capitals are you know a little bit of an older group you know, the, you know you got a bunch of guys in their 30s whether it's crosby malkin or uh, ovechkin backstrom uh in washington so i i may be willing to give a, a bit of a you know benefit of the doubt to, to the quote-unquote younger teams there uh you know carolina and new york uh just based on that but um, at the same time too, I just, you know, looking at the personnel on paper, I, I, I have our time ever ruling out, you know, either of those groups, uh, Pittsburgh or Washington, just based on their experience, definitely some, some, you know, flaws on each roster and with the Penguins and Capitals, you know, I would, I would dare say they're probably not as deep as some of those other teams, uh, in Washington's case, I would say they're probably not deep enough in net. I, I, you know, we, we discussed this earlier about, you know, some of their potential interest in Marc-Andre Fleury. So clearly, you know, there's maybe something there to upgrade for them in net there. Uh, for the Penguins, I think their biggest issue is just keeping guys healthy um, in terms of their depth. But um, no, I, I would, you know, and it's it's also interesting to know too, the Penguins have yet to play the Rangers or the Hurricanes at all this season. Yeah. You know, we're past the midway point here. So um, a lot of those head-to-head matchups are going to dictate how all this kind of unfolds. So um, no, I mean, I, I again, I, I don't want to rule out anyone, obviously, in that, in that sense of the conversation, but 
just based on having maybe a little bit more of a, you know, better luck in terms of health and youth, I, I certainly can see why there's an argument or, uh, you know, the, the odds makers seem to favor uh, Carolina and New York in that sense. Seth, over recent years, I feel like there have been, you know, especially during this run of success for the Pittsburgh Penguins, there have been players that have sort of been spoken into existence at the trade deadline where we track, are they going to be given to the Penguins for the right exchange, you know, for months at a time? I'm talking about like Hosa, Aginla, Derek Broussard, Zucker. I mean, these seemed like guys that we've talked about forever before they eventually got acquired by the Penguins at some point, either in an offseason or during a regular season. Is JT Miller with the Vancouver Canucks that guy this year? I feel like everybody is talking about him this season. Vancouver currently, I think it's in seventh in the Pacific. Uh, they have uh, something like 46 points in 46 games. Something that, Yeah, 46 points in 46 games. Uh, Miller has one year on his contract after this one at 5-2-5. Uh, everybody knows he's somewhat local, East Palestine, grew up playing junior hockey in this area. Is this one that could be spoken into existence, or is Vancouver going to hold on to him? Well, to your your first point there, I'm still waiting for Ray Sher to trade Jordan Stahl for Ilya Kovalchuk with the Thrashers <laughs> there. Um, I'm, I'm old enough to remember when Joseph Stumple, I think, was supposed to be coming to Pittsburgh for like four consecutive seasons just because, you know, you know, connections with Yager and you know, Czechoslovakia <laughs> and all that stuff. So um, as far as JT Miller, um, I, I'm hesitant to go there just because um, who do you, who do you send off the roster? Uh, yeah. The Penguins are capped out. I mean, you'd have to considerably change the, um, you know, the makeup of this roster uh, in terms of the salary structure. You'd probably to have to give Zucker away with a pick to someone else. Yeah. And in, like, like yeah. you know, Phoenix or something like that, Arizona rather. Like, you have to give them to a team that's, you know, got to stay around the floor, can take on salary, and you do them, them the favor of uh, giving a draft pick with the deal. Yeah, and then, you know, and certainly I would argue, you know, you know, if, if you're just talking about JT Miller for Jason Zucker in terms of replacements, okay, there's, that's arguably an upgrade just based on the health there. But, um, you know, I think you open up other issues with in terms of your, your depth and, um, this is also an organization too that's you know kind of professed so far under under Ron Hexall too in terms of not wanting to give away the future. And I know they kind of went against the once the, went against that when they made the Jeff Carter trade uh, for a couple of fairly high draft picks last season. And, um, in fact, and, they, and when they Jeff, extended him, <laughs> yeah. In fact, uh, once Jeff Carter hits the 50 game mark here, I think that one of those picks upgrades like a third rounder or something like that. Oh, so, huh. um, so yeah. But um, no, I just. I don't see them making a move like that unless they considerably alter, uh, you know, the, the structure in terms of their payroll and stuff like that. And, um, again, let's, I mean, let's just theoretically say, okay, you know, Brian Russ, he's, you know, a, a, a free agent here. We got to move him off the roster. Okay. Well, you get him for JT Miller. Do you gain anything by that in terms of making your roster any better? So, um, like, like you said earlier, it might be have something somewhat convoluted where you, know, you have to send uh, a guy like Jason Zucker to a third party just to clear roster space. And you know, maybe then in that sense, you're also giving up some, some high draft uh, picks or assets or something like that. And working against that, you know, uh, I guess, uh, mantra of Ron Hextall of not wanting to give away the future. So it's not impossible. It's not, you know, completely, you know, unlikely. I mean, I remember last season uh, with a conference call with a couple of the beat writers here, Ron Hexel said, I really like our roster. I really don't want to like, you know, change too much of it. And then like two weeks later, 
Jeff Carter showed up at one thirty in the morning. Uh, so uh, I wouldn't put it past it for them to just kind of toe the line there and, you know, say, Oh, we're not going to you know make any moves here. We're happy with our roster. And then all of a sudden, boom, you know, so-and-so's a member of the Pittsburgh Penguins at some really weird hour in the morning. So, um, no, as, as I look at them now, I just don't see how they would do it. But at the same time, too, just given how they operated last season with Jeff Carter, I wouldn't rule it out whatsoever. Who else are you seeing in the Twitter sphere that's uh, of the desire of the Pittsburgh Penguin fan populace? Who else are we demanding comes to the team? Do we have to dream police anybody else here? Oh, goodness. Um, no one really comes to mind. In, my, in fact, I, a lot of times with the trade deadlines, I don't even look at it until maybe a week or four or so. But um, I mean, I certainly could see them wanting to maybe shore up some of the reserves. And by that, I'm saying, you know, do you want to maybe find a 13th forward or a seventh defenseman? Um, if you can find someone that's affordable, that is better than Dom Simone or, or Mark Friedman, absolutely, you do it. Um, you, you never can have too much depth uh, going into into the playoffs. I mean, we've seen years past when, um, a guy like Mira Satan, you know, he was kind of just, you know, maybe a disappointing signing, but he ultimately, you know, he ended up being a scratch late in the regular season. Um, and then he, uh, he ended up, you know, playing a, a fairly, you know, reasonable minutes for the Penguins in 2009. We've seen years pass with, um, you know, I think Mark Strite helped the Penguins a little bit in some, some years down the stretch. Uh, so it's never a terrible thing to go out there and try to find that guy who can be maybe your 12th forward or your 13th or 14th forward, just because if you are going to go on a, on a lengthy playoff run, you're going to have to go into that depth. Uh, you know, it's kind of a cliche thing that Mike Sullivan likes to lean on a lot of times where he says it takes a lot more than just with the 12 forwards, uh, six defensemen and two goaltenders. So, um, as far as any names out there, I mean, goodness, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of guys out there, but, um, it just, as far as, uh, anyone that would be affordable, I mean, I think you'd have to get some cap retention involved there. Um, you'd have to get maybe somewhat creative with what kind of picks or future assets you want out there. Um, but yeah, as far as names or whatever, I just, uh, like I said, it, the big ones, I guess everyone kind of knows with like JT Miller being the big piece there and Jim Rutherford and Patrick, uh, Alvin kind of going in, in the, t- into Vancouver there. So, um, yeah, who knows, Mark, maybe Mark Giordano with Seattle. I mean, he's, hmm. you know, that's a, that's a franchise that's not going anywhere right now. Uh, he's on a, on the last year of his deal. Um, I know uh, John Klingberg's had some, some in Dallas has been a guy that's, uh, um, he's had some contract disputes, I guess, with a, with a potential contract uh, renegotiation or extension talks with the Dallas Stars. So, and I'm not necessarily speaking to those guys specifically with Penguins, just as maybe just being you know, fairly big targets out there. Uh, Phil Kessel, you have to imagine he's maybe out there. Oh, he's in the last oh. year of his contract. No. Um, and that's a franchise that certainly has some issues. Claude Giroux's maybe on the market there. That's a team that's wow. not going very far. Well, there. Fleury can be a captain. Giroux can come to the Penguins. Yeah, um, PK Subban's out there with the Devils. They're not going anywhere right now. So, um, no, I mean, there's definitely some big names out there. I'm not sure how many of them maybe fit in with the Penguins' plans. Um, but uh, no, I mean, there's it's going to be a fairly interesting, you know, trade deadline here because you know, like I said, there are some big names out there. You definitely have some teams that are decidedly out of the playoff uh, picture right now. And um, it, what's really complicating things, I think, is though um, just the fact that. Uh, you know, you're going to have a flat cap here. So, I mean, a lot of teams are very, still very conscious of their future planning in terms of, you know, having you know manageable assets on their roster and not, you know, facing a really bad cap crunch this upcoming off season. So 
Um, but yeah, I mean, definitely some big names out there. I just don't know how much movement you're going to see just based on the economics the league's still doing with because of the pandemic. Do you think Jake Gensel still gets carded when he tries to walk through the casinos? <laughs> it's very possible. Uh, Does he need like a I, Nick Papa Giorgio fake ID or, or what? <laughs> That's a good call there. Um, no, I, I, if Jake Gensel walked into my establishment, I would certainly ask for identification. Uh, very unassuming young man. Uh, I, is, you know, and the the fact that he's I don't know he's twenty seven or whatever I would always suspect that's maybe a dubious claim. All right, Seth, appreciate it, man. Enjoy the time off. Anytime, Tim. Be well, man. All right, Seth Roba. He is our beat writer for the Pittsburgh Penguins at Trib Live. All right, so my thanks to Seth. We appreciate him still to come this week. Mike Pursuta and Matt Williamson. Before we get to the weekend, this is the Pittsburgh City Cast. Download the app today or go to BetRivers.com.